When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nobody dictates our tempo around here, especially not during college football season. Also, nobody dictates your tempo because you're tuning into the show. You're one of us. We're glad to have you here. If you're new here, welcome into the Hard Count. This is the People's College Football Show for every single thing that you and I both know and love about this wonderful sport. It happens here every single day. It happens here live three times a week, 11 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We got a ton to jump into. We got our top 10 teams in the country that we got to break down couple of moves that were made this past weekend. It was kind of a shakeup Saturday, if you will, uh, a new entrance into the top 10 for a specific team in the ACC, which we'll get to here in just a second. Got some thoughts on Michigan, some thoughts on Georgia. Can they three-peat without Brock Bowers? Maybe the better question is, how would they three-peat without Brock Bowers? In Michigan, everyone's saying, well, they haven't played anybody. JD, you can say all you want about Michigan, but I haven't seen them play anybody. So, I, I mean, I just, I don't believe in them. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Michigan. Uh, also, Coach Beamer, friend of the program, a coach that we are transparently a big fan of, broke his foot post-Florida. And I think the internet, some people in the Twitter sphere kind of uh, exposed themselves in some way, shape, or form. I think the people that didn't play competitive sports kind of came out of the woodworks yesterday and had a lot to say about that. So we'll give you our thoughts there. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023, the last one in history so we got to make it a great one. We're going to do that right now by talking college football and only college football. Quick note off the top, how we led the show was nobody dictates your tempo. Had a coach tell us that when I was in college, and it stuck with me for a long time. And I think the, the sentiment that he was trying to get at was, regardless of what is going on around you, whether it's boss, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a student, whether it's a class, whatever it is, that doesn't dictate how you respond. That doesn't dictate your attitude, your effort, how you, how you attack it. Like, it's all about your tempo, and nobody gets to take that away. Nobody gets to decide how you're going to approach it. So, as I said, on this show, and for y'all that are listening to this show, we're going to dictate our own tempo today on this big-time Wednesday. I cannot wait to get after it. We have a huge slate for this show and for this Saturday. we got to break down. So, without further ado... Let's get into it. The nothing but ball top 10 heading into week eight of the college football season. If you're new to the show, the way that we do this poll, it is protected from the AP poll. It is protected from the coaches poll. We just watch the games much like you from sunup to sundown. Give you our thoughts on the top 10 teams. Now, I want to make this clear as well. This is not a projection. I am not predicting who's going to win the national title, though we've done that before on this show. I'm not predicting who I think is going to win the conference, though we've also done that on this show. These are the top 10 teams. As I see it right now, based on playing actual football games, I'm not talking about strength of schedule, I'm not talking about resume, that's baked into a degree, but these are just the top 10 teams that we see right now across the college football landscape. So at number 10, a new entry into this poll, we have the North Carolina Tar Heels. Got a nice little dub over Miami. Don't look now, but North Carolina's undefeated. North Carolina could very well find themselves playing for the ACC title in Charlotte when all the dust settles. 
Now, obviously, we have a, a fair amount ahead of us before we get to that point. They still got to play Duke. They still got to play at Clemson. Those are probably the two biggest games left on their schedule. Drake May is a given. Like Nick Brake, big Drake May fan. He actually called the North Carolina win over Miami. So hat tip to, to Nick Brake for getting that one. But the defense is the key here. The defense is a beautiful word if you're in Chapel Hill. They are better. Not, not elite, not phenomenal, not best in the country, but they are better, allowing only 21 points a game. So North Carolina just kind of quietly taking care of business. People are going to say, well, they only have one ranked win. I don't care. They're undefeated. It's, we're going to the week eight. If, if they get to the ACC title game and they win the ACC, like not a lot of people are going to be talking about who they did or didn't play, in my humble opinions. North Carolina at 10 for us this week on the nothing but ball poll. At number nine, staying in the top 10. They were in the top 10 last week. They lost. They're still in our top 10 because I think they're one of the top 10 teams in the country. And that is the Oregon Ducks. Lost to Washington on a field goal. And they have games at Utah. They have USC. They have Oregon State. The game against Washington, I hope we get a rematch of because I wholeheartedly believe, based on what we've seen to this point, those are the best two teams in the conference. Probably within the top three quarterbacks, Caleb Williams probably is still the best quarterback in the conference and in the country. I think Oregon controls their own playoff destiny. I really do. That, which is not something I would have said going into the season if you had a one-loss Pac-12 champ. But the Pac-12 is so strong this year before they turn the lights out on the conference that I think if they were to beat Utah at Utah, beat USC, beat Oregon State, like I think those would be more than likely three, maybe two, depending on what Utah does this weekend, ranked wins. I think Oregon would find themselves in the playoff. Love Bo Nix. Love the way that line of scrimmage is built. Even though they lost the game, we went into this game saying, hey, they're going to bully Washington up front. Oregon lost the game, still bullied Washington up front, ran for 200 yards. So number nine this week, keep an eye on the Ducks. I think that they will be right in the mix when it comes to Selection Sunday and when it comes to Conference Championship. I guess it's Friday for, for the, the Ducks when it comes to when they play that Pac-12 title game. But you know what I'm saying? Oregon still in the mix, number nine this week. At number eight, we got Texas. They had a bye last week. And same thing I said with Oregon is true with Texas. They control their own destiny. I would be surprised if we don't see them play Oklahoma for round two in Jerry World for the Big 12 title. I'm curious with Texas how they respond to that Oklahoma loss. I think they'll respond well, but it, there, there's still some games on Texas's schedule that are losable. Kansas State's probably the one that you circle. They got to go to Iowa State at some point too. So Texas, they play Houston this week. If they look a little bit lackadaisical coming out of that one, I don't think you pound the alarm, but you kind of feel not mad, just disappointed. Wasn't that just the worst thing to hear? I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. And that would how I feel about Texas if they don't go out and handle Houston how they're supposed to handle Houston. You can't have this hangover where Oklahoma, you're still playing that game in your mind and you wish things had gone differently. They didn't. You got a bye week to flush it. You got Houston, take care of business. And I think Texas will be in the college football playoff should they win out and be a one-loss conference champ. Big if. Very, very big if. Another big if, what if Penn State beats Ohio State this week? They're at number seven on a nothing but ball pull for us right now. And they just throttled UMass, as a good team should do of Penn State's caliber. If they beat Ohio State, I think we have a very real conversation to put Penn State within that top four this time next week. And at the very least, I think you probably put them in the top five. Everything with this game for Penn State is predicated on Drew Aller. 
I'm not saying you ask Drew Aller to go out and win the game in Columbus. I'm saying when Drew Aller committed to Penn State, and he was waiting in the wings last year behind Sean Clifford, and you lost to Ohio State, there was a lot of people saying, man, well, we got the most talented quarterback we've had on campus, just sitting behind Sean Clifford. Now, I never thought that Sean Clifford should ever be benched. I don't think a lot of people thought that that were you know, dialed into Penn State football, but the reality is Drew Aller, from a talent standpoint, brings something new to the table that you have not had in Happy Valley for some time. And what he brings potentially throwing the football downfield gets you fired up if you're a Penn State football fan. That could be the difference in a game like this. You're hoping and praying and believing that is the difference in a game like this if you're a Penn State fan. Getting over the hump, beating Ohio State, making that game against Michigan that's in Happy Valley, by the way, more than likely for that side of the Big Ten. Regardless, Penn State, probably a top five, top three defense in the country. Tremendous stable of running backs, elite offensive line. If they beat Ohio State this week, going to be hard to keep them out of that top five, maybe even the top four. So Penn State at seven this week. Now at number six, a team we were just talking about, Ohio State. They handled Purdue in a way that you would hope a team like Ohio State would handle Purdue. I think if they end up beating Penn State this week, you re-solidify to everybody who you are. Because the game against Notre Dame, I don't think it has an asterisk next to it at all, so hear me clearly. But the way that it went, Notre Dame in the box score probably played well enough to beat Ohio State that day. But if Ohio State beats Notre Dame, as they already did, and they beat Penn State, you're kind of saying, all right, what now? What now? What, what, what else do you want to see us do? Got the game against Michigan. We'll get there when it gets there. But like, what else do you want to see us do if we're Ohio State? I think it would quiet a lot of critics. And I think, again, it would kind of be the first step to Ohio State sort of writing their own script for this 2023 team. They love the 2022 team. They love the 2021 team. They love all the previous teams at Ohio State. But this team, I think, should they handle business against Penn State, you add in that, that Notre Dame win, like I think you start to talk about this team in a bit of a different light, would silence a lot of doubters. Now, number five, you got Washington. Dude, the, the story that came out on Twitter I believe it was Jalen McMillan who tweeted it out. He quote tweeted the picture or the video rather of Michael Penix on the sideline while Washington is down, by the way. And he's sort of talking, it looks like almost, but he's sort of bobbing his head. And everyone's like, what is Michael Penix doing while, while they're down and, and Oregon has the football? Y'all, Michael Penix Jr. was freestyling on the sideline while Washington was down. He was freestyling, according to Jalen McMillan's tweet, about how they were going to come back and win the football game. Program guy, through and through, is Michael Penix Jr. one of the best players in college football. He's, he's absolutely at the top of the Heisman Trophy race at this point in time. There's a lot of talk around Washington being 2019 LSU in the comparison. I think that's reaching a little bit. I see where you're coming from because you have Probably a first-round caliber quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. Got multiple NFL caliber wide receivers running around for them. I think that when you look at 2019 LSU, they were probably a, a touch more dominant, to be real. But I, I still think we got to give Washington their flowers. Now, if they end up running the table the rest of the way, like Washington absolutely deserves to be in the college football playoff because they got at USC, at Utah, at Oregon State. All three of those potentially ranked matchups all will be Tremendous test for Washington, run of the gauntlet. And oh, by the way, you have the Apple Cup to end the year. So if they end up getting to the Pac-12 title game from that stretch, y'all, Washington will be scary because of how battle-tested they will be. And I would imagine the style in which they would have won those games. Because right now we've seen them really win one kind of way. 
hey, we're going to score a lot of points. Can you match us? We'll see. I think in those games, you would ask Washington to play another style of football that would translate to likely playing really good football in late December, early January, if you catch my drift. At number four, we got Oklahoma, and they had a bye week as well. I have the inverse question for Oklahoma, as I did for Texas, because of the way that game went. How does Oklahoma handle success? Last year, there was a lot made about being six and seven, and you know what we were talking about with them, with punchline culture being a thing that was really directed pretty consistently towards Brent Venables and the, the way that Oklahoma's roster was built and underachieved last year and the defense and like so much made about Oklahoma in a negative fashion last year. And now coming out of that Texas game, people are throwing Dylan Gabriel in the Heisman conversation, myself included. People are singing Brent Venables praises, myself included. This is a little bit new for Brent Venables in this spot as a head coach. This is new for this team in this spot at Oklahoma. It's not new for Oklahoma. It's not new for this fan base. But for the people in that building, in that locker room, it's like, oh, now y'all, oh, now people are saying good things about us. You went from the underdog to now people expecting you to make the Big 12 title game. How do they handle that? How do they handle that? We had, a, we had someone jump in the live chat yesterday and say they think UCF has a chance to rattle Oklahoma a little bit. I don't feel that way, but we're going to watch them play these games. They have not a difficult test ahead of them, but they have some games on their schedule that you probably want to keep an eye on if you're an Oklahoma fan. They're at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, at BYU. I would expect them to win all those games, but all those games on the road present different challenges. Going to Stillwater, never easy, even with the way that Oklahoma State's played this year. At BYU, who knows what that trip looks like. At Kansas, we already mentioned. We'll see what happens with the health of that roster at that point in time for Kansas. But bottom line, Oklahoma, how do you handle success? Because you should win the rest of your games and end up in Jerry World for a rematch against Texas. And I would love to see it. At number three, we got Florida State. Dominant against Syracuse. And they play Duke this week, which will be a good test. That's a, that's a tough defense. They play Miami at home, and they go to Florida. That is the season for Florida State. Like, that is the season ahead of them. That will determine if they end up being in the ACC title game, with the exception, obviously, of the game against Florida. And that will determine their college football playoff aspirations. The thing that would encourage me if I'm a Florida State fan right now is the way that they ran the football against Syracuse. I understand it's Syracuse, right? We're not going to overhype that win, but I do think the fact that you ran the ball for almost 200 yards at 5.6 yards a carry, that was a welcomed thing to see because they beat Clemson. That was awesome. We were there. It was an incredible atmosphere. They threw a, a big-time dime to Keon Coleman that was on my Instagram. I was right there. It was like, oh, this is sick. Keon Coleman's catching a touchdown pass to win the game, actually. Uh, but the thought is, well, they, they did that, but they only ran for 20 yards. If Florida State starts getting the run game going like they did last week against Syracuse, and that becomes a consistent thing for them, whoa. Hey, hold on. Hold on to your hats, because it's going to be be a very dynamic offense continuing to be a dynamic offense I should say with what Florida State brings to the table again they're number three for us in the nothing but ball pole heading into week eight and number two man it's been pretty consistent you got Michigan at two and I mean quite frankly you can make a case for them being at number one but the difference to me with this Michigan team from last year's Michigan team is the control of J.J. McCarthy in this offense we saw him roll out Indiana's chasing him, breaks contain, and we've seen a break contain before, but just the, the way that he did that, he just kind of glided out there, looked very controlled, very calm, delivers a pass to Colston Loveland, and that was a touchdown, and that was kind of a play that was, I think was a, was a microcosm of J.J. McCarthy's 
development since he's become the guy at Michigan early last season. And he is very much so the owner and operator of this offense at Michigan. And you pair that with what they're doing running the football, what we already know they can do running the football with what they have production-wise back on defense. Like, I understand there's a lot of people saying, well, Michigan hasn't played anybody. We'll have a conversation about that here a little bit later in this live show. But I assure you, with, with the way that Michigan is rolling right now, they're one of the best teams in the country. And I assure you, should they handle business the rest of the way, they will have earned their spot in the conference title game and in the college football playoff. Because that would mean that they beat Purdue. Okay, great. At Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State. Three game stretch to end the season, arguably against the best three teams in the conference. Have they built the response muscle enough for November? We're going to find out. But if they go through that stretch undefeated, I don't think there's any question that Michigan deserves to be in the college football playoff. Now at number one, we got Georgia. We'll get some pushback on this. That's fine. Here's what it comes down to for me with Georgia. They lost Brock Bowers. We're going to talk about that later. Can they three-peat without Brock Bowers? Another segment later in this live show, so stick around. Very interesting stretch right now. Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, at Tennessee, at Georgia Tech. I mean, as of right now, I'm counting three ranked opponents. Georgia hasn't played anybody. Well, they blew the doors off a ranked Kentucky team. That's first. They beat South Carolina, and that, that win has aged in a funny way. And they beat Auburn, and that win has aged in a funny way. Going back to what I said at the top of this whole thing, what it comes down to me, what it comes down to for me with Georgia, I trust the chef. I trust the ingredients. Let me say that again. I trust the chef. I trust the ingredients. The chef, Kirby Smart, the best head coach right now in college football. He's got two national titles that I think would support that statement. Best roster in college football. From a talent standpoint, you can make a case for Ohio State. You can make a case for Michigan. I understand that. If you want to go ahead and put Georgia in the top four to, to best roster in the country, I think we're splitting hairs there. The bottom line is Georgia has everything they need, in my mind, even without Brock Bowers in the lineup, to win a national title. We have more thoughts on that later in the show. But I think if you don't trust Georgia, you don't trust the organization. And the organization has proven... They're just fine reloading with however many five stars they've had in the past couple of years. Remember after they won the first national title? Well, they lost so many draft picks. They lost all this on defense. What'd they do? Ran it back. The organization, I think, is the difference for Georgia. And right now, for me, they're the best team in the country. All right. So to recap it for you, our nothing but ball top 10 heading into week eight of the college football season. At number 10, we got North Carolina rolling right along the defense Looking just a little bit better. Good news for the folks in Chapel Hill. At number nine, you got Oregon. I think they control their own destiny, much like Texas also controls their own destiny. At number eight, Penn State at seven, Ohio State at six. That's going to be a clash of the Titans this weekend in Columbus. Can't wait to watch that one. Washington's at five, Oklahoma at four, Florida State at three, Michigan at two, and Georgia at one. That is our nothing but ball top 10 ahead of week eight in the college football season. Get at me in the live chat and let me know where you agree, where you disagree. Get at us in the comment section and let us know your top 10. Curious to hear, but that is where we stand ahead of week eight. All right. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. You could like the video. We'll keep this tradition we got going of over 100 likes before we get off the air. So a little thumbs up icon you see if you're watching live. We, we appreciate y'all being dialed into this thing live. You can hit that thumbs up icon and get us over our goal of 100 likes 
and the good times will keep on rolling. Quick PSA as well as we move into our next segment. I mentioned it yesterday on the live show. Some of y'all caught it. It was a little bit later in the show, so if you if you missed it at that point, I want to you know kind of re uh, restate this. A lot of y'all asked, hey, where do I get a program shirt? JD, the program shirts, I like them, but I can't find them anywhere online to buy. That's okay. Nothing's wrong with your computer. Nothing's wrong with the website. They're not for purchase anywhere. What these program shirts are is, is just something that we wear on the show, and y'all have said that you like. So I was like, okay, how do we find a way to make these available to y'all? And there was a couple ideas we, we toyed with, but the, the one that I landed on was we talk about this show being a program, being a team, being a community. And so the, the way that I want to distribute these is y'all get at me on Twitter or on Instagram, and I want y'all to send me your program wins. Like I talk about program wins on this show. Whenever we get thrown into a hype video, that's a win for all of us. Whenever we have something good happen with the show, it's a win for all of us. But I want to know what some of your wins are. Had some of y'all get at me in the DMs yesterday on, on Instagram. Had some of y'all tweet at me on Twitter. I want to hear from y'all the rest of this week what your, your program wins are. And that could be a personal win. Maybe it's something going on in your personal life that's good. Maybe it's something that happened at work that's good. Something that happened relationally that's good. Whatever it is. Let us know because we want to celebrate those with y'all and we will select a few of those at random to, to get you some, some program shirts. So we'll get that going for you. And uh, again, at social media is the best way to do that. Don't do it on YouTube because I just I, we, we can't have a back and forth privately to get your shipping info. So on Instagram and on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at JD Pakel is the best way to get a hold of me there. And uh, excited to hear what, what y'all's uh, program wins are to this point. All right. Shane Beamer made some noise yesterday in the Twitter sphere about breaking his foot after the Florida game. And to be clear, to, to provide the context, this is a weekly press conference, and we had someone within the media ask him, hey, coach, saw you kind of limping in here? And it was kind of a, a lighthearted conversation. It wasn't anything that was like, hey, coach, what's wrong with you? Saw you limping in here? You okay? He goes, yeah, you know. And, and Coach Beamer kind of sheepishly goes, yeah, you know, after the Florida game, got mad kick something and uh, I have a, have a broken bone in my foot and I watched it and I didn't think twice about it I was like that's one kind of funny two that sounds painful so that sucks for coach Beamer but there was so much made about this and I was so shocked as to why like I think a lot of people that never played competitive sports got the Twitter's fingers out and had a lot to say about coach Beamer breaking his foot saying, oh, he's overly emotional, he's a crybaby, this is your head coach, this is your leader, he's kicking stuff after he loses, what is going on? What are we doing here? <laughs> My question to everybody in the Twitter sphere that's saying stuff like that, what are we doing here? Are we serious? This is seriously something that we're going to stand on a podium and say, this is a, a definitive statement about a coach's character and the way that he does things because he kicked something after his team blew a 10-point lead? Where I'm sitting from, this is a non-issue. In every single sense of the word, every single sense of the word, this is a non-issue. And what I said at the top of this, I'm going to go back to, if you haven't played competitive sports, it's not a knock, but I would say let's, let's kind of hold our opinions a little bit more loosely. Coach Beamer, there is nothing more important in his life, I promise you, I don't know him personally, but this is my estimation, outside of his family and potentially his faith, than how his football team plays on Saturday. And his football team blew a 10-point lead at home to a team that they had on the ropes and they thought they should have beaten. And so one of the top three things most important in his life, 
goes south in that situation. He shows emotion, cares about his football team, kicks something, breaks his foot. Simple as that. People do things all the time in the heat of competitive moments that they maybe wouldn't do if they were a little bit more level, but like, it is what it is. Are we really going to say Shane Beamer is overly emotional and he's a crybaby, he's this, he's that, because he kicked something after his team blew a 10-point lead? The issue isn't that he kicked something, all right? The issue isn't that he broke his foot. That's a byproduct of this, of this situation. The issue is that he blew a 10-point lead. The issue is that South Carolina is not playing their best football right now. And that, I think, also plays into the whole lens that we view the situation through. It is so fascinating to me the way that we view coaches and the lenses or the goggles rather that comes with winning and losing. Like Dabo Sweeney is a great example. If Clemson is winning, Dabo is charismatic. Dabo beats to his own drum. Dabo is genuine. He zigs when other people zags. He does things his own way. Now, when they're losing, Dabo is corny. Dabo is outdated. Dabo's not with the times. Dabo's cringy. See how that works? Same thing with Dave Aranda at Baylor. When Baylor's winning, he's stoic, unflappable. Man, nothing bothers this guy. You, you can't get to Dave Aranda, man. He's just so cool, calm, and collected. doesn't matter if it's good or bad. He just stays the same. If they're losing, people say, well, he, he's just not a leader, man. You can see he needs to get after those guys. He needs to be fiery. Show some emotion. What's wrong with him? Is he soft? Is, is Dave Aranda soft? What's going on? They're losing football games. Same thing with Shane Beamer. When they're winning, he's authentic, he's genuine, he's a player's coach, someone you want to play for, wears his heart on his sleeve. And then when they lose, he's a crybaby. He's overly emotional. What's he doing kicking things after they lose? What's his problem? Like, you can't have it both ways here. We can't be extreme one way or the other. Like, this, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Does Shane Beamer wish he hadn't kicked something and broke his foot? Yeah, I promise you, he probably does. The reality is, though, I bet he wishes much more that his team was playing better football and that they hadn't blown a 10-point lead. So let's all kind of dial it back a little bit. A lot of people were buying stock in Shane Beamer this offseason, and now we're trying to sell that same stock right now because of how they're playing. Let's just relax a little bit. At a place like South Carolina, they have a lot of resources. They're starting to recruit well. And I think it's just a thing where you see Georgia being successful. You see Alabama being successful. They've stacked recruiting classes. Give South Carolina a little bit more time because I think you got the right guy. I don't think there's a better coach for South Carolina right now than Shane Beamer, based on what we know. So with that being said, let's understand competitive context is the case here. Nobody should say anything definitive about Shane Beamer being this or being that. Like, dude's a football coach, team lost a football game, made an emotional move. It is what it is. All right, let's not overblow that one out of proportion. But that was something that I thought we had to say our piece about based on what had been said about Shane Beamer and based on just how people view coaches in general. I think it needed to be said. So curious to hear y'all's thoughts on that too. I'm curious to hear uh, y'all's thoughts on Shane Beamer breaking his foot. Uh, he did say in the press conference, though, he is listed as probable for this upcoming weekend, which we love to see for Coach. Uh, we're at 66 likes. If y'all could keep on liking that, get us over 100. We would appreciate that tremendously. So thank you in advance for that. We'll keep on rolling here. Uh, hey, you know what? We got another big game in the SEC. Let's break it down right here. We got Ole Miss, six-and-a-half-point favorite, going to Jordan-Hare to play Auburn, 7 Eastern, ESPN. For Auburn, man, played great against Georgia. 
had the bye week, everyone was saying, hey, you see where this thing is pointing? Us included, we're like, hey, see the arrow pointing up for Auburn? They're going to trend the right direction. It's only year one. Like, give Hugh Freeze a little bit of runway here. I still think that's true, but then you lose in the way you did to LSU, Death Valley at night. Offense looked anemic. Defense was bad. Like, it is what it is. If you find a way to beat Ole Miss at home in a night game, I think that would kind of recapture a lot of the juice that you sort of had uh, had brewing against Georgia in that spot. You beat Ole Miss, a team that is making a push now to, to win the SEC West, or at least be in that conversation. Uh, that would definitely be something that could spark the, uh, the momentum train in a very real way. Now for Ole Miss, coming off a bye, just what we said a second ago, they are very much so in the hunt for the SEC West. Now, they'll play Georgia here in a little bit, and that'll be a pretty big game in determining their, their SEC fate, but the A&M game also for Ole Miss will be a big deal. The bottom line, if you want to win the SEC West, if you want to play in Atlanta for the SEC title, you got to just take care of business to this point. Hope some things break your way, but it starts with a game like this. Sneaky game on the road now at Auburn. All right, It's, it's not going to be the same as if it were played in Oxford. Just ask Georgia. Tough place to play, especially when that place is engaged, and I think they'll be engaged for a game like this. Some keys to this game, man. The, the first thing that I'm watching, probably the number one thing that has to happen in this game for Auburn if they want to win, they got to do a good job sorting out the Ole Miss passing game schematically. Because if you watch Ole Miss on tape, they do a really good job scheming guys open. Like you're watching an Ole Miss game, you say, how is that dude has, has like, a country mile around him. There's nobody even near Dayton Wade. Nobody even near Jordan Watkins. What's going on out there? Well, it's because Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr. dialed it up and have somebody running wide open. And so for Auburn, the way that they play defensively, they are pretty aggressive on the back end. Like they'll play a fair amount of man on the outside. They'll kind of let their linebackers play a zone underneath and they'll let those safeties just kind of roam and play instinctively. Like see ball, get ball, more often than not. LSU saw that last week and just manipulated them to the nth degree, scoring over 40 points, scoring over, over 40 points in that game. So how does Ole Miss take advantage of that? And how does Auburn try and sort that out? So if Auburn can sort that out and at least be on their P's and Q's and, and keep from having that coverage bust where you have an Ole Miss receiver running wide open in space, it's going to give Auburn a chance to dial up some pressure. Ron Roberts is a guy who likes to apply pressure with his defense. The good news for Auburn now, Jackson Dart and company, Ole Miss is not tremendous against pressure this year. One of the worst sack rates in the country offensively is Ole Miss. So if you can sort it out and just, just be solid for the first, let's say, two seconds of the play, you give your defense a chance to get home, create some negative plays, good things start happening, you're at home, the crowd gets into it, that momentum bus gets out of the station, and good things are happening for Auburn. Now, if you don't, I mean, like Ole Miss, they're scoring 35 a game. Their offense has been prolific for the most part. They're, they're, they're going to win a track meet if you don't, or they're going to start running a track meet, and I hope Auburn can keep pace, if you're Auburn, that is, but I don't know that they're going to be able to do that with this Ole Miss offense. So keep an eye on that. Very, very big factor in this game. Other thing we're watching now, Auburn offensively, their bread and butter, their most successful attack has been the quarterback read option game. It has been quarterback runs. And the stats, I mean, the, the stats reflect that. The leading rusher for Auburn from a yards perspective, Peyton Thorne. Leading rusher when it comes to touchdowns, the most rushing touchdowns for Auburn this year, Robbie Ashford. So, 
I think that has to be rolling the way that it did against Georgia for Auburn to win this football game, just by nature of that has been their fastball to this point in the year. The reason why it worked so well against Georgia for Auburn is they were able to capture the edge. They were able to kind of scheme it up and have their tight end or their H-back, whoever it ended up being, get out on the perimeter, capture the outside shoulder of that Georgia linebacker or edge defender, and then wouldn't you know it, Peyton Thorne's out the back door for however many yards. Now, I've said this too. I'm curious how they utilize Robbie Ashford going forward. It feels like to me they have more of an identity with Robbie Ashford playing quarterback. I understand maybe you feel better about Peyton Thorne's arm. That's fine. Hey, no, no pushback from me there. But just keep an eye on how they rotate these quarterbacks because Robbie Ashford, I thought, played really well for the most part uh, when they asked him to against LSU. Now, you know, sort of a, a moot point, by the way, the offense played as a whole against LSU, but something to watch for with how Auburn attacks Ole Miss. Now, a big part of this for Ole Miss in defending that is going to be Sunterine Perkins. Sunterine Perkins, true freshman linebacker. We were really high here. We were really high on him here at On3. Uh, super fast. Great athleticism. The defense as a whole is really athletic. Sunterine Perkins, I think they will ask to do a fair amount in that read option game against Auburn, being able to capture the edge and, and at the very least, be able to force it back inside. You force it back inside for Ole Miss, I think good things happen. I say force it back inside as in Peyton Thorne or Robbie Ashford trying to get the perimeter. You set the edge, Calvary comes, you're good, you're good, and you kind of live to play another down. But the thing to watch too is the pressure that Ole Miss wants to play with. I talked about Auburn wanting to apply pressure. Ole Miss, Pete Golding, they want to do the exact same thing. They want to get after the quarterback. And so in an RPO scheme, that Auburn runs, the run pass option, not going to do the whole over-explain the RPO. But to, to put it simply, big plays should be there if Peyton Thorne can diagnose that pressure coming and get the ball out of his hands quick. Because whenever you blitz, you kind of do a little bit of risk it for the biscuit if you're a defense. Like, whenever I'm blitzing, there's some real estate behind whoever is blitzing. And if the offense is a step ahead of you and sees that blitz coming, we can get the ball in space to that playmaker and good things can get happening for Auburn quick, fast, in a hurry. Like how quick I was just speaking a second ago, that's the kind of tempo I need Peyton Thorne processing at with this Ole Miss defense. Now, the tricky part about it for Ole Miss defensively, they're going to bring a blitzer from somewhere that's not in the line of scrimmage more often than not. They'll put three in front of you on the line. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll walk a linebacker up. Maybe they'll walk two linebackers up. Maybe it'll be a rush defender. Maybe it'll be a safety that's playing back and comes from depth. Like, there's going to be some sort of surprise baked in there pretty frequently with how Ole Miss plays defense. How does Peyton Thorne handle that? Again, if he handles it correctly, there could be some big gash plays here for Ole Miss. Just ask LSU by the nature of how they played Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago where nobody played defense. That was, that was must-see TV, tell you what. All right, the differentiator in this game for me. As, as much as there is an opportunity for Auburn offensively to score some points, the differentiator and the thing that concerns me in this game for Auburn and the benefit for, for Ole Miss, Ole Miss runs the football 55% of the time to a tune of right around five yards of carry. Quinshawn Judkins is a grown man running the football. He's kind of starting to catch his stride as he's getting healthier. You would imagine the bye week only benefits that. Auburn is allowing five yards of carry, one of the worst in the country. I think Ole Miss is far too potent in the pass game that if they're able to run the football effectively as well and set up the pass game, going to be a consistent play from behind kind of thing for Auburn. And I don't trust what they have offensively to be able to match Ole Miss in this spot. Now, Jordan Hare could be the, 
the differentiator for, for, for Auburn in that same token. Jordan Hare could just be the difference maker and kind of keep them in this game with it being, you know, the energy and they play inspired and all that. But like at the end of the day, man, I think Auburn is still very much so a work in progress. And we all knew they'd be a work in progress. You brought in 21 transfers and asked all of them to play more or less. Like Peyton Thorne didn't have any spring practice. And it looks that way at this point in the season for Auburn. They look like they're still trying to put it together and mesh. So with that being said, we're going to take Ole Miss to win the football game. Again, I think the offense is just too much for Auburn in this spot. The run game is too much for them in this spot. We actually like Ole Miss to win and to cover. I think the final score is 37-24 for Lane Kiffin and company. But I'm not selling any Auburn stock. Again, this whole year for me with Auburn is just house money. All of this is house money for Auburn. See where you are this year. Kind of pick yourself up this upcoming season. Solidify your culture. Solidify your standards. I still think, no matter how Auburn looks in this game, the arrow is pointing up. Now, if they win this game, we'll talk about it on Sunday and talk about what this means for them going forward. But we like Ole Miss to win, and we think that that offense is just a problem for everyone in the country. And Auburn is no exception. Jackson Dart, too, man. Like We talked about him a couple weeks ago. He probably deserves a little more credit than what he's getting. He didn't play incredible against Arkansas, but even so, like, I like what I'm seeing from Jackson Dart. I think Jackson Dart deserves some more love, so we'll give him that on this show. The flow, the cleats, the way he runs the football. I hope we go see him here in just a little bit in Athens. Uh, would love to see them in person when they play Georgia, but we'll obviously talk about that as we get closer and closer to that. Now, let's stay in the SEC. We talked about Athens a second ago and maybe seeing them go and play Ole Miss, rather, see Ole Miss come and play them. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about Georgia this season. There's been a lot of talk as of late about Georgia because they just lost Brock Bowers. And so the number one question everybody and their mother is asking is, well, can Georgia, can they win three in a row without Brock Bowers? My answer is yes. They still can win without Brock Bowers. The question is, how would they do it? What's it going to take? So we'll break that down right now. First things first, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. College football, only college football, the way that you love college football. Nothing extra baked in, no agenda, no additives. We say it a lot on here. No high fructose corn syrup. That's bad for you, so we don't have it here. Make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate y'all in advance for being dialed in. And uh, it's ball and only ball around here. So thanks for locking in with us. The obvious statement for Georgia when when it comes to what they have to do to three Pete is you have to have other pass catchers step up. Like Lad McConkey, we need him to really come into his own now as he's getting more and more healthy. Ra-Ra Thomas, transfer from Mississippi State, probably need more from him. Dominique Lovett, transfer from Mizzou, need more from him. Like The bottom line is you're, you're trying to replace 26% of Carson Beck's passing yards to this point in the season. That's how often they've gone to Brock Bowers. And you should. He's an Avenger. He's a weapon. He's a freak show. Whatever kind of label you want to put on him like Brock Bowers deserves that so it makes sense why you would lean on him but now to this point you're saying okay we got to score points and it's not just we got to score points for the sake of of scoring points you look at what's ahead of Georgia and they're going to play some teams that I think could force them to match scores now we'll talk about the defense here in a second but Ole Miss just talked about them scoring 35 a game Tennessee scoring 34 a game you'll be in Knoxville Missouri scoring 34 a game Like, these are some offenses that if you don't bring your spikes that day, if if you don't have it revved up and ready to roll, 
they're going to make it a thing where you may have to play from behind. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying that could be a reality and you would need these pass catchers to step up and be able to match scores. And there's a lot of a lot of talk around running the ball for Georgia, especially early in the year. I mean, they're a little bit thin at that position right now. That's why you see them playing a wide receiver at running back every now and then. They've been a team that's trying to throw the football. And they were this way last year. They were they're this way this year too. I mean, they've, they've thrown the ball 37 times a game with Carson Beck. They're very content to drop back and live with throwing the football. And I don't think that changes without Brock Bowers in the lineup for the sheer fact of I don't think you see as much 12 personnel. And Rusty Mansell and Jake Rowe talked a lot about this at Dogs HQ and they did a phenomenal job breaking it down. Like, you don't have the personnel at this point that you had last year. You had Brock Bowers, you had Darnell Washington, two of the best tight ends in the country. So you could live in 12 personnel and feel as good running the football as you did throwing the football because you got two big bodies in there and it's tough for a defense to match up with that. At this point now, you got Oscar Delp, you got Lawson Lucky. Lawson Lucky is a true freshman. He's going to be a really good player at Georgia here in the near future. But I don't know that you want to ask him to consistently line up there week in and week out and do what Brock Bowers did. Now, Oscar Delp obviously probably taking on more of that Brock Bowers role. But you hear the sentiment I'm getting at here. You want to rely on some more experienced, proven playmakers. And those are the guys that I just mentioned. Rara Thomas, Dominic Lovett, Ladd McConkie, Roseman, Jack Saint. Like, there, there's a lot of guys that you probably want to talk about here in this light. And, uh, yeah, so we, we'll keep on moving here. But that's very important, obviously, that those pass catchers step up. Now, the good news for Georgia Bulldog fans. This defense now kind of starting to come into its own. There was a lot of talk around what they weren't doing on the line of scrimmage. The last two games, that front seven is allowing less than three yards of carry. Vanderbilt's a part of that, obviously. They, they held them to, like, I think it was less than two yards of carry. And then you played Kentucky, who ran for almost 300 yards the week before against Florida. So this front seven is starting to really catch their tempo, and that's going to be important for them, obviously, going forward. So you would hope that going forward for Georgia – that can be something you lean on more and more, kind of similar to that 2021 season. You still scored points, but it felt like the defense, and that was a generational defense, so you don't have to do the same thing as that team, but you have to, I think, be able to lean on that side of the ball a little bit more than you have to this point in the year. So, even with Brock Bowers out of the lineup, does anyone question the talent of Georgia against who they have to play, against who they have left on the schedule? Like, is Georgia less talented than a Missouri or an Ole Miss or a Tennessee? Florida's going to be sneaky. Are they, are they less talented than any of those teams? Based on how they've recruited, I would say no. Okay, so what are we questioning? Are we questioning the talent? No, we're not questioning the talent. We're questioning the proven production from Georgia at this point. Hey, I haven't seen it with my own eyes, which is fair. Hey, Brock Bowers meant a lot to that team. He's not in the lineup. Can they replace him? No. Can they replace that production? I think so. I think so. And so what it comes down to, when we haven't seen it with our own eyes, why do we trust that Alabama and why do we trust that Georgia and Ohio State are going to be one of the top teams in the country every year, even when they're playing a new quarterback? Well, we trust the organization. Yes, you trust the roster and talent around them, but I think what it comes down to that's baked into that roster talent is the organization. Georgia, year in and year out, sets the course for their team, gets their team ready to play as well, if not better than anybody else in the country with Kirby Smart running the show. Coordinators change. Todd Munkin, he's gone. Dan Lanning, he's gone. Like, Dan Lanning was gone a couple years ago. Doesn't matter. They reload. They have a standard internally they stick to. The mission does not change, regardless of who's 
in uniform or who's on the staff, like Georgia continues to find a way to perform at the level they expect to. And I think there also has to be something said now too. This is more of a thought and more of a question, but like for this Georgia team, doesn't it feel like to this point in the year that they are a team that needs just a little bit of a sense of urgency to get going? Like you would obviously hope that by November and by December and January, it's a thing where it's like, hey, lights are on. We got big time football to play for. Like, let's roll. But doesn't it feel like for Georgia, they need a little bit of that chase mentality? Talk about the Auburn game. They're down. End up coming back to win. South Carolina game. They're down. End up coming back to win. You put Kentucky in front of them, but Kentucky had a number next to their name. Georgia goes out, throttles them. I'm curious now for Georgia if Kirby Smart won't use this ammunition of, hey, your best player is not on the lineup anymore. A lot of people talking about what y'all won't do. Do we think maybe, just maybe, that's the, the fuel to the fire this Georgia team needs to go on a tear? Because it's not going to be a personnel thing for them. Like Brock Bowers, as incredible as he is, Georgia still will be the more talented team in every game they'll play probably until the SEC title game, maybe the college football playoff. And by that spot, you probably have Brock Bowers back if we're being conservative. So for Georgia, can they still three-peat? I think so. Will they still three-peat? We made this pick last week heading into the week of who we had as our mid-season teams to go and win the college football playoff, mean national champs and all that. And like, I don't change my pick based on what we've seen with Brock Bowers. Still trust Georgia, still trust Kirby Smart. Still trust the chef, still trust the ingredients. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a Kirby Smart special, but you just can't help but wonder if maybe this is the ammo they needed to get rolling, have that sense of urgency. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see how they respond. That response mechanism from Georgia is one of the best, if not the best in the country, and uh, it'll be on full display for everyone to see. Carson Beck obviously has to bring the juice to uh, in that spot. Now, Another team that we expect to be in that college football playoff conversation when it comes to Selection Sunday, Michigan Wolverines. What do we make of Michigan to this point in the college football season? Because at this point in the year, we're week eight, and you've seen other teams play more formidable competition. You see Texas play OU. You see Florida State play Clemson. You see a lot of teams have ranked matchups, and so we give them a hat tip because of that, Oregon and Washington. Hey, you play a ranked opponent, we give you some more juice. Michigan doesn't really have that going for them right now. But still, a lot of people, myself included, have them as one of the best teams in the country. And the crowd that's getting a little bit frustrated right now is that, well, they haven't played anybody crowd. That crowd's starting to get a little bit louder as we're into week eight of the college football season. So here's my question. How do we assess Michigan? What are the things that we got to look at? I think... First is you have to take a look at how they've played to this point in the year against lesser competition. Like, you have to be, based on what we've seen Michigan do to this point, based on who we've seen them play, the expectation for Michigan is be dominant. Michigan's been dominant against who they've played. Case in point, mostly, uh, excuse me, they have, the, the most anybody has scored against Michigan at this point in the year is 10. 10 points is the most that has been scored against Michigan. That was on the road against Minnesota. The offense looks like they're actually getting better from week in to week out. In the first couple of games of the season, the first four weeks, they scored in the 30s. Last three weeks has been 45, 52, 52. It's looked how it's supposed to, to this point. 
I understand it's Rutgers. I understand it's Indiana, it's Nebraska. Like, I get all that. But there is still the task for you, and it's arguably a more difficult task week in and week out to say, hey, we still got to get up and play these guys. Hey, we still have to bring it. We still have to have that sense of urgency. We've seen that from Michigan week in and week out. Also, quick side note, it doesn't really support the thesis of what do we think of Michigan and what do we make of Michigan? Like, the, they haven't played anybody crowd. I understand where you're coming from. But, like, whose fault is it that Minnesota's not any good this year? Is it Michigan's fault? Minnesota's been good in the past. I don't think it's Michigan's fault that these teams aren't bringing it to the table. Nebraska, just not that good right now. Minnesota, down year. Indiana, not good right now. The reality is for Michigan, you have to still control the controllables and handle business how you're supposed to handle business. And they've done that. It would be very, very easy for Michigan to walk out there against the team like a Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, and just say, eh, we don't really feel like it today. And I'm not saying they lose any of those games. I'm just saying we could have had a situation where we're checking the ticker and say, oh, it's third quarter. They're going back and forth, 24-21. Michigan's up by three. Haven't seen any of that. Hasn't been any of that from Michigan. Other question is, how, or excuse me, another question we should assess Michigan through, another thing that we should look at, is what Michigan's going to need in November being worked on and kind of brewing right now in October? What was the number one question? All year, all offseason long for Michigan. Can the pass game be explosive? Can J.J. McCarthy take that next step? Everyone want to talk about that. And that's fair. I want to talk about it too. Same question I had. To this point in the year, from an eye test perspective, J.J. McCarthy, I think, a much more controlled player. Offense looks more explosive, period. From a numbers perspective, in the pass game, they're averaging 10.4 yards a pass. That's good for top five in the country. Check that box. The pass game is looking at this point in the year like you're going to need it to to win a national title in late December, early January, or play for national titles in that sense. Is the second half edge still there? Was my question. Because you read your press, your press clippings for the better part of an offseason about how good Michigan is, and they're going to win the Big Ten again, and they're this and they're that. What do they look like in the second half? Because last year, their edge was the second half. It was, you can't handle Michigan for four quarters. Maybe for the first two, maybe even early third, but at some point in time, that weight on your back that you're standing under is going to crush you. Is that still there for Michigan? Are they getting complacent? Do they have the same depth? Well, we knew they had top five returning production in the country, so that was one part of it. But to this point in the year for Michigan, talking about the second half, they are number one in the country in terms of points scored against them in the second half. 2.4 per half. Okay, so there's that part of it. They're top three in the country the last three games in terms of second half points scored, 25 points per game. So that edge they have, that's still there. That depth they have, that's definitely there. I think that's probably the most important thing to speak to is that there's no drop-off because J.J. McCarthy is not playing in the fourth quarter of a lot of these games. Blake Corum is not toting the mail in the fourth quarter of a lot of these games. You don't have all the starters in defensively in a lot of these games. But even so, there's a standard there's a culture, there's an identity that, hey, we're going to bring it week in and week out. There is no drop-off. So the depth in the culture, I think, the lack of complacency should be factored in when we try and assess Michigan. Michigan, from an overarching view right now, from a macro level, you say they haven't played anybody, we'll check back on them in November. We can't do that as college football fans. we got to just dig a little bit deeper to figure out what Michigan's going to be. Michigan also, and this is kind of the obvious point, but I want to kind of provide some context here. Michigan has a backloaded schedule. 
right? They play Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State to end the year. Just so happens Maryland's pretty good this year, so that'll probably be the best three teams in the country, or excuse me, the best three teams in the Big Ten, rather, for them. Those will be potentially two of the best teams in the country when it comes to Penn State and and Ohio State. That's going to be their season. And so if you're Michigan, you got a trend to play your best ball in November. Just because some teams played their their big-time games early in the year, we shouldn't dock Michigan to this point in the season. We understand. If they get to the college football playoff, by nature of those three games I just mentioned, the two that I specifically mentioned with Ohio State and Penn State, if they win both those games, punch their ticket. No question about who they've played, who they haven't played. Like right now, Michigan, in my assessment, is that really big dude in the gym who's just hanging out by the dumbbells. We all, we all think he's strong. We're all, we're all pretty sure that dude can lift some weight. Haven't seen him have to go heavy yet. All right, so with Michigan, what do we make of them? They've been dominant. It's looked how it's supposed to look. What we questioned in the offseason, can they throw the ball deep? Can they be explosive in the pass game? To this point in the year, you check that box. They still have that edge there they had last year because that was kind of what made Michigan Michigan. I've seen that so far. The way they played in the second half, one of the best, if not the best, second half teams in the country right now. That edge to around Jim Harbaugh being suspended. I wonder if maybe, just maybe, that's the ammo Michigan needs, or needed rather, early in the year to be on a tear and to kind of have that chip on their shoulder. So what do you make of Michigan? Still one of the best teams in the country. Period. Mic drop. The end. So that's Michigan for you. That's Georgia for you. We went through a lot today on today's show, man. We got, got to a lot of different things, and we honestly even left some, some stuff for tomorrow. I want to do a segment tomorrow on what happens if we get five undefeated conference champions because one of y'all hit us with a question on that yesterday, and it was really, really good. Tried to workshop it to get into today's show. Just quite frankly, did not have space. But regardless, we will talk about that tomorrow. Thank you for over 100 likes. Y'all knocked that over the park, out of the park, over the park, however... However you want to look at it, it's no longer in the park by nature of y'all liking the video. So thank you for that. Uh, We got two ad reads here. Got an ad read for Roback. Got an ad read for Game Time. So while we're doing this, get in the live chat and let me know your questions, your thoughts, your concerns. Whatever you want to talk about, get in the live chat right now. Nick Brake, Keeper of the Queue, will get to those shortly. So we appreciate y'all for that. Sit tight really quick as we go through these ad reads. Hard Count is brought to you today. By game time. I'll paint you a picture. Big game this weekend in Columbus. Penn State, Ohio State. And you're thinking, ah, maybe I want to go to the game. But maybe not. Saturday morning rolls around and you're like, I want to go to the game. I've decided. I I smelled the crisp fall air. I I felt like it's football weather. I got to be there. But it's Saturday. How do I get there? Game time has got you covered. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, including Saturday morning for Penn State, Ohio State. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets on all of the sports entertainment events. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you. Wait for it. 110% of the difference. So snag tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code HARDCOUNT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code HARDCOUNT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So we appreciate Game Time being people of the program and making sure that y'all get to these games. Met a lot of y'all at different games on these past Saturdays, whether it was 
Tennessee, South Carolina, Texas, Alabama. Where were we early in the year as well? I'm forgetting. Clemson, Florida State. Like, we met a lot of y'all at those games. Game time is going to help you get to those games. So we appreciate them. And uh, make sure you use that code so you save yourself some money. One more ad read. Then we're going to get to y'all's questions within the live chat. So make sure you're getting at that right now. We'll answer those here momentarily. The hard count is brought to you by Roback. Roback are people that have been with this show for a very, very long time. And you guys all know how much I love Roback. I'm wearing them every single Friday when we're out of the office and we're kind of getting ready for Saturday. And I'm doing my back and forth on my Instagram page, talking about ball with y'all. I'm always rocking Roback. And I wear them all the time for a reason because they have the best polos on the market. And if you need a polo to last you the entire day on a hot game day, Roback is your answer. Moisture wicking technology, four-way stretch, makes it easy to move in while keeping you feeling fresh. Roback's everyday shorts are the perfect pairing as well. They're comfortable, have elastic waistband, great fabric that is made to stretch. So you're not walking around the tailgate looking like, you know, the Tin Man. You're not, you're not worried about, you know, chafing your armpits or, or chafing your legs because you got thick, stiff fabric. Don't worry about that, Roback, none of that. Roback also been proudly leading the NIL charge, having signed partnerships with college stars Cade Klubnick, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton. Big game for those two this weekend. Jalen Milrow and Audric Estime. They have also teamed up with legendary Coach O. Great content from Roback with Coach O. Go check that out. Uh, use the code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers through the end of this week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off all performance polos, shorts, they got some nice performance crewnecks right now. Great, great shirts that are great to work out in and hang out in. All that and more with code JD. Just in time now as we jump into the last third of the regular season of the college football season. So make sure you check them out at roback.com. Good people, good product. Listen, we, we wouldn't stand by any of these things if they weren't something we believed in. So both Roback and Game Time would encourage y'all to get after with those promo codes. All right, now, best part of the show, it's y'all's show. It's a program, it's a community, it's a team. So y'all now get into the live chat. Let us know your thoughts on all things college football or non-college football, I suppose, to break it all down. Producer of the hard count, baddest leg on this side and that side of the Mississippi when it comes to the kickball atmosphere, Nick Break. Nick, it's game day, man. I know, I know you got a lot going on in the chat. But how are the butterflies? How are the nerves? How are we feeling as it pertains to the big one tonight? Well, it's the last game of the regular season this week. Wow. Um, 16 out of the 24 teams make the playoffs. We have already qualified for playoffs Okay. as being 3-1-1. One, and one. So we're in. But it's worried. we're worried about seeding. I, we've never won a playoff game. Wow. This is our third season. So this is, a, this is getting over the hump. Chasing history tonight. Chasing history. Yep. Uh, but this is not a playoff game. This is a season finale. So will they will they rest the leg? No. Or will it be like a preseason you gotta where you win, go out dude. and kick Seating ones? is important. Okay, so it's for seeding. What what uh what seed are you guys looking at? Well, we're sixth right now. Um, but I'd rather be in the top five, frankly. Yeah. Winners want to win. What's yep. wrong with that? Yep. Nothing. Absolutely. Uh, this is a good question. Did not. I had to look this up because this stat. Seemed a little weird to be true, but it is in fact true. Evan uh, asked a good one. Do you think Drew Aller will have a tough time playing in the shoe? He is 34 for 66 and only one touchdown in his two road games this year, which were against Illinois in Northwestern. You know, I think the, the stats for me on Drew Aller at this point, I understand where you're coming from. I just think the way they're going to play against 
Ohio State will be a different game plan than those games. Because Northwestern, no disrespect to Northwestern, but the, the game plan you have for them versus Ohio State, I would imagine the Ohio State game plan is a little bit more aggressive. Uh, to me, it's just a matter of ability with, with Drew Aller. Like, I know that he has it. And so when it comes to executing in this game, like, that's the big question mark. Can they put him in position to succeed? And uh, I really think a lot of it, too, comes down to running the football, Nick. Like, if they can run the football and move the line of scrimmage with that offensive line and create some open plays for them downfield, can you hit those shots? I know he can. It's just will you in that moment uh, with the big-time spot. So the spot and the execution is really what I'm looking at because we haven't seen him have any turnovers yet, I don't think. Like, he's been essentially like looking like he's been playing quarterback at Penn State for, for a long time. There's no first-year starting quarterback game for him just yet. Do we see that ugly, like, three, four turnover game from him at some point during this season? If we do, do we see it in this spot? I don't know. So a, a lot of I don't knows, a lot of potentials, but uh, – yeah, I'm excited to watch Drew Aller. I feel pretty good about him going into this game. Evan says, I got fact-checked. I had a check just because that is – I think that's crazy. Um, obviously, like, it's only been two games. That's a small sample size. Different Good for situation. you for being conscientious, too. Good for you for being like, hey, yeah. we're going to do, do our due diligence here. We trust Evan, but we also want to make sure we're giving the best product to the people. Like, I love that. Yeah, and Evan, by the way, said yesterday, found our show while watching some Andy stuff and starting Ooh. to watch. So uh, it's awesome to see some – Andy Staples guys coming in here and Absolutely. checking us out. Uh, happy to have you, Evan. Uh, next question, Reed Shannon. He's been around for a while with us here on the hard count. JD, a lot of teams run the running back committee schemes. Which team, in your opinion, does it best? Which team has the best committee? Man, it's tough to go against Michigan. Just what we know about Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. And I think Donovan Edwards actually got in the end zone uh, for the first time this past week against Indiana. So good for him, but like, we just, we know what they are. There's no question marks around them. Uh, Penn State has a very good case for that as well. Um, I'm sure I'm missing, I mean, Oregon also has a great stable of backs. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say Michigan for now, but there, I mean, if you want to look at the power rankings, there's probably a pretty, pretty small margin between the next two to five teams. Okay. Yeah. I, it's hard to, to not say, I mean, either of those two guys could be like pretty good. I'd be satisfied if the Buffalo Bills were to oh, drafted yeah. them in the NFL some at some point in the draft um, with Donovan Edwards and Blake. No doubt. Um, hey, shout out to NYF. Happy to see Roback back. Um, we tried them out because of you, JD. That's awesome. Um, it's pretty cool, isn't it, JD? Hey, I mean, whatever whatever's good for the brand is good for the brand. But no, yeah, Roback, great people, and uh, we appreciate NYF being dialed into the show. I believe they are a a regular. I see them a lot in the comments. So good for mm -hmm. NYF being dialed in and. Uh, Good for NYF uh, liking some some rowback. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Tanner Martin, this is a good question. JD, we get asked this a lot. We've been getting asked this since uh, your the hard count kind of joined on three last year. JD, how hot is Jimbo's seat? Eight straight road losses. It's 0 and 8 against five twenty five teams on the road. It's been getting hot, even with the buyout. Are they think? Do you think there's a thought there? So I believe it was Bruce Feldman who does phenomenal work, is like right up there with Pete Thamel as the authority within college football. And he said that if they don't get it turned around here, they're going to come up with the money. I saw some number like $67 million, whether it was this year or next year, like just a, a ridiculous amount of money to deal with if you're trying to fire your head coach. Uh, when it comes to, we're getting a little hot over here. I love it. I love it. Oh, Nick. here we go. I love it. We got the Bright Lights Big City. A little I bit think of a glitch. Hold on. I, think, I don't think that's an accident. That, so for those listening on podcast. This light just has a mind of its own and sometimes just turns all the way up. 
we start talking about a hot seat with Jimbo Fisher and, and the light turns on. So I think that's a sign that Jimbo Fisher's got to start winning now. And I don't disagree with the light uh, as a whole, man, like Jimbo <laughs> Fisher at some point in time, like what's the excuse, you know? And, and it's, it's, it's tough. Cause there's a lot of other things you point to like, Hey, we didn't execute in this game. Hey, we lost our starting quarterback. And like, at some point in time, someone's got to be held responsible. And it's not a recruiting thing. It's not a resources thing. It's not a defense thing. Like, at some point in time, enough has to be enough. So uh, that's a lot of money. I don't envy anybody that has to come up with that money to fire anyone. But, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens here in College Station. I, I think I would be surprised if it happened at the end of this year, if they finished 8-4, and because that's a step forward from 5-7. and seven. But I think if we're sitting here this time next year, and it's like, hey, Jimbo, we're not winning the SEC. We're not going to Atlanta. Then I think the conversation becomes very, very real. So it sounds like it's already pretty real, Nick. But I'm going to go ahead and say it's, uh, it's not looking good for old Jimbo. <laughs> seat is hot. Seat is um, very, very hot. Tanner, who asked the question, said maybe it's JD's seat that's getting hot. Whoa. You think Your that's what it is? got hot. I mean, that was pretty ironic. Jimmy. That's true, dude. Maybe. Shoot. Maybe right, that's we, a sign. I don't, I don't know. We, we got to do some self-evaluation here. Yeah. This is a great question. JD, uh, obviously, I think seeing your, your rankings, uh, your poll, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but DCP 27, Florida State versus Washington, neutral field tomorrow. Who wins? What a, what a Thursday night football game, right? Man, <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Thursday night on NBC, maybe? <laughs> maybe. You get them on NBC? Uh, golly, man. So, to be honest, I'd probably have to do a little bit more work on that. Golly. You know, Nick, by the way that Washington's playing right now, I'd have a hard time not picking Washington. Like, the, the way that they are firing all cylinders and what they have at the wide receiver position, I think I would actually pick Washington in a neutral site. Golly. But I don't see, then I don't know if, if, if Florida State and how they throw the football, if that's the differentiator. I think I'll say this to kind of be diplomatic here. If they play 10 times, I think you split five either way. I think tomorrow by how well Washington is playing, I would lean on Washington in that game. Um, so I'll say Washington, but I, I will reserve our right to change that, obviously, uh, going forward. And, and right now, I think Florida State deserves to be ranked higher when it comes to uh, the college football playoff ranking. So we're Fair all enough. over the map there. We're all over the fence, but that's that's how we feel about it. Yeah, but I think, that's a, that one. I think that's a solid answer. Um, have, what do we got? One question? Two? Let's do one more. Yeah, one sounds more. great, man. Um, like I said, usually if we didn't get to your question today, uh, come back. Um, Rocky Top Tom, we didn't get to yours today. Shout out Rocky Top Tom, always here. Uh, but I like this question from Ben a lot. Um, it's going to be kind of hard to answer in a confined time. It's also something Andy Staples, by the way, does on his show once a week, Ben. Mm. But he asks, he says 12-team playoffs starts tomorrow. Which G5 teams are in? Which Power 5 teams will miss out because of that G5 team? Say that again. Okay, so... we got 12-team playoff. You get the 12-team playoff, but yep. remember, it'll be one G5 team every year. Yep. So let's just say there are teams around the fence in the Power 5 that likely could have been the 12th team. Where do you, who do you think would be Ooh. out this year, and then which G5 team? That's so tricky. You know who's going to be interesting to watch here? What happens with LSU? Let's say LSU loses to Bama, and they're a three-loss team. They're probably the best three-loss team in the country. We're not picking that game right now. I'm just saying, if it were to happen, I would be concerned if I'm LSU. Um, 
Yeah, because I mean they're they're playing at such a high level, and you you probably have a case with the way that they've, you know, the, the teams they've lost to being Florida State and and how good Ole Miss is right now. Like I think Ole Miss LSU one of those two would be in danger of sitting on that twelve spot and getting left out. So I'll I'll, I'll say that for now. But obviously, if if LSU goes on and beats Bama, and if Ole Miss beats Georgia, like that conversation changes. So Ole Miss and LSU are the two that I'd watch uh, as of right now to get bumped by a by a G five. I don't love it, mm-hmm. not for it, but. It is what it is. Nick, uh, I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Or, really quick. Yeah, yeah. King Epic, Bailey Shed, Dr. Dan, if you ask your question, come back tomorrow. We're out of time for now. And then uh, while, I, while I get out here, J.D., Evan says, do you want your program wins on Twitter or on Instagram? Either is great. Either cool. is great. At J.D. Piquel on both. Get at me over there, and we'll, uh, we'll get back to y'all. Just get, get those in this week, and we'll, uh, like I said, select a few at random and uh, get y'all, get y'all some, uh, some attire. So we appreciate y'all. Cool. Heck yeah. Nick, you're the man. You know that? Yeah. Sorry about that uh, light glitch right there. Your hot, your hot seat. Dude, I think, it, <laughs> I think it was, uh, I think it was a sign. I think Jimbo's playing with the lights. I hope it wasn't, I hope it wasn't directed towards us. No. But if it is, we'll, we'll keep on rolling. But if it was at Jimbo, then like that segment, we'll have to revisit here in the coming years, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how that situation shakes out. Absolutely. Regardless. Nick, you're the man. Hey, good luck tonight, baby. Appreciate Let's it. Let's go get him. Let's go get him. Top five seed, baby. Nick break. Keeper of the queue. Big one tonight. If you're curious how Nick Brake's kickball game is going to go, we're going to talk about it tomorrow. So get dialed in. Again, that's 11 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We are live on the air talking ball and only ball. All right? I say ball. Well, kickball, I guess, is sort of factored into that, if you will. Regardless, we appreciate y'all being dialed in. We appreciate y'all being a part of this. Make sure you're subscribed before you get out of here. Also, we're on podcast. can also get at me on podcast and let me know your program win there. But we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Same time tomorrow. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.